Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right. Well, as you probably noticed, we've talked about already, today is our second Sunday in our missions emphasis for 2022. This is the time of year that we really focus in on missions. Why? Because that's the heart of God. Amen? How do I know that missions is the heart of God? Because the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. That's missions. Jesus was the very first missionary, if we want to be completely honest. Man, he set that bar high for you guys. Way, way up there. But man, Jesus set that in motion as he began to share the good news of what was going to happen and this new, this new opportunity that they have. So today, I want you to really listen carefully as we have our missionary. Let me pause for a moment before I introduce him. This afternoon at 4 p.m., let me share this with you. There's going to be a community song and prayer gathering to support the Ukraine. Okay, so it's going to be held at the Pettis County Courthouse. Um, I had the opportunity to pray for America in that and share a few words. So I'm going to be there. It starts at 4 o'clock today. So if you're available, join us on the courthouse steps. And we're going to do that. And then the video talked about growth tracks. So make sure you avail yourself to that if you haven't gone through that. It starts the very first Sunday of April, which is next Sunday. So grab a hold of that. All right. Our missionary for this morning. I've known Nathan for several years now. I don't know how many years. We, he always entices me with this little bag of Hershey nuggets at district council every year. So I figured he's fattened me up. I've got to bring him in for a service, right? So let me introduce him. Nathan and Lee's attorney have been working in Asia Pacific as missionaries with the uh, Assemblies of God World Missions for 25 years. In 2020, they were officially assigned as the first Assemblies of God World Missionary um, appointed to New Zealand. The attorney's prior missionary work was directing Asia's Little Ones, the Assemblies of God World Missionary Asia Pacific Child Compassion Ministry, and serving as missionaries in Thailand. Nathan and Lisa have six children, Claire, Elijah, Zachary, and Lily, still in the home, and then two adult children, Grace and Pierce. So that's all I'm going to say about them. I'm going to introduce Nathan to you this morning. I want you to give a big Encounter Church round of applause to Nathan Turney this morning. Come on. Come on. And as he comes up, we're going to show a brief highlight video of what they've been doing in missions. All right, we should have a video. A picture will come in just a little bit. We've been serving as Assemblies of God World missionaries in Asia Pacific for 24 years now, initially working as missionaries in Thailand, and now for the past two decades, we've been directing the Asia's Little Ones ministry where we've seen God dramatically transform the lives of orphaned, abandoned, and vulnerable kids through homes, healthcare, education, and nutrition. For the past two years, God had been speaking to our hearts that as we approached the new decade, He was moving us in a new ministry direction. And as we prayed and sought Him, um, to our surprise, He brought a country to our attention that had not previously been on our radar. 
and we had the opportunity the past um, year to take several ministry trips there. And as we began to interact with the people and learn the needs specific to the country of New Zealand, God began to birth within our heart um, just a real strong burden and a desire to take the truth and hope of the gospel there. New Zealand is a melting pot of very diverse ethnic groups. There are people of European descent, there are Islanders, Asians, people from the Middle East. It also is extremely secularized with over half of the population rejecting any religious connection of any kind. We actually will be the first Assemblies of God world missionaries to be assigned to New Zealand. And God is leading us to strategically plant an international church in Auckland, the largest city. And we want to invite you to partner with us in this new endeavor to provide hope, healing, and restoration for the lost in New Zealand. Good morning, good morning. What an honor it is to be here with you. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Uh, this church has such a reputation and your heart for missions, and what a blessing it is to be able to be here with you in this Missions Emphasis Weekend. Uh, unfortunately, I'm traveling solo. Uh, Lisa and the kids are not with me, and as you might have heard Pastor Chris mention that we actually have six kids, so this picture is a little misleading, and let me encourage you to grab one of our prayer cards in the foyer, because in addition to the four in the picture, we have two uh, adult children. And so we actually have a biological Brady Bunch of three girls and three boys. I was doing some ministry in northern Thailand, and a Thai lady asked me about my family. And when I, I told her I had six kids, she gasped and said, six kids? How many wives do you have? <laughs> it's the honest truth. I was a little taken aback. I said, well, just one. And then she retorted, well, is she still living? I said, the last time I checked. <laughs> We've had the joy of serving as missionaries in Asia-Pacific since the mid-1990s, first in Thailand, as the video mentioned. And now God has us on this crazy new trajectory. Anybody ever been surprised by God before? Anybody? He pulled something out of the hat that was unexpected. Well, that's what happened with New Zealand with us, because all of our ministry has been in the undeveloped world. Thailand, Cambodia, Philippines, Indonesia. And then in 2019, he began to open doors into New Zealand. We had never been to that part of Asia Pacific. He had never been to Australia, never been to New Zealand. And then as he began to open doors, we could just see that God was really sovereignly just miraculously opening doors and, and moving us in this new direction. Because all that I had ever known about New Zealand prior to that was just that it was a land of beautiful scenery. I mean, you'd like to go to New Zealand for a little tourism. Well known for its majestic mountains, lovely coastlines, fjords. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan... Go do the uh, the Hobbit tours and storm the gates of Mordor and go find Gandalf. Yeah, all those things, that's what I knew about New Zealand. But as we began to do ministry there in 2019, what we found is it is indeed a land of beautiful scenery, no question about that. But it is also, in stark contrast, a land of barren spirituality. It's very similar to Europe. In fact, it was a British colony till the 1947 era, area time frame. And uh, it's followed Europe in the same spiritual trajectory where Christianity was prominent in its past. But today, secular atheism is the dominant driving ideology and worldview. Now, we know that attempts to extract God out of the equation of life. But that doesn't work very well because God is our creator. He's our source of life. And living independently of him is going to cause a great deal of damage the cost is very high. New Zealand, we see they have very high rates of alcoholism and substance abuse. 
Of developed nations, they are ranked number one for domestic violence. And of developed nations, they also have one of the highest teen suicide rates, twice that of the United States. So you can be surrounded by beautiful views and vistas, but we know it will never fill the God-sized void in your heart. But God is still stepping down into broken humanity to bring healing, hope, and restoration. Can you say amen to that? And the joy we have as we're highlighting this weekend is that we get to be a part of that work of redemption to see God touch and transform lives. And we've had the joy over our two-plus decades of ministry in Asia Pacific of having a front row seat to really some dramatic life transformation testimonies. Uh, families like Garde, we were working in the southern island of Mindanao in the Philippines, predominantly Islamic area of the Philippines. And uh, the plan was eventually was to plant a church, but the first engagement with the community was a nutrition project. Philippines is well known for its issue of malnutrition with their kids. And so uh, to build relationships and have, uh, have a, a meaningful engagement initially, there was a nutrition project that started the ministry. And the way that the project worked is five days a week, uh, parents, mo mostly mothers, would bring their malnourished kids to the center. There was a nurse on site. The kids would be evaluated, determining their level of malnutrition. They would introduce into the program. And then five days a week, they would receive a nourishing meal. There would be medicine, uh, some medical care, vitamins, uh, activity classes for the kids, uh, um, health classes for the parents. But most importantly, they'd hear about God's love and the message of the gospel. Gardy and his family were a part of this community. And the reason, uh, their lives were just coming apart. And the reason for that was, is that Garde was a drug addict. Any money that he would acquire, he would squander on his substance abuse, and it was just laying waste and devastating his family. His kids severely malnourished, his wife hopeless and despondent. And when his wife heard about the nutrition project, she thought that this might be some answer to some of the problems that they were facing. And so she brought their two young children to the center, and they were evaluated, introduced into the program. Then they began to receive the care that was provided there at the site. And as she began to observe and engage over the next few weeks and months, she saw a physical transformation taking place in her kids. Because when they were brought there, they were really at, at almost at death's door. It was really at a critical point in their lives because of the lack of sufficient nutritional input in their, in their bodies there. But as she began to see this physical transformation, how I many of us going to open a heart, mom's heart? And as she heard about God's love, she placed her faith in the Lord, and God began to change the landscape of their lives. Gardy began to see changes in his family, physically with his kids, something else with his wife. He couldn't even explain. He didn't know what was going on. But out of curiosity, he began to attend some of the meetings. And as he was there and he heard about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's transformational power, he surrendered his life to Christ it doesn't always happen this way, but when he placed his faith in the Lord, God miraculously, instantaneously delivered him of his drug addiction. And today, Gardy and his family are members of their local church and powerful testimonies in their community of God's transformational power. Because in their home, the Holy Spirit brought healing to their hearts and their health. And God put the pieces back together. I mean, that's what the Lord does. He steps down into broken humanity to mend broken lives and to restore people back to himself because of his great love, as Pastor Chris was saying earlier. God's great love. Jesus unpacks for us 
God's love in Luke 15, really in an extensive teaching session, and you can turn with me if you have your Bibles. Uh, this familiar passage of Scripture, when you turn there, you'll immediately recognize that the entire chapter contains three familiar parables that Jesus taught in consecutive order, the parable of the lost sheep, then moving to the parable of the lost coin, then concluding with the parable of the lost son. Jesus uses this teaching session to unpack for his audience and for us today the breadth and the depth of God's love. Now, just to refresh our memories, let's kind of let Luke set the stage for us here in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, speaking of Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So right out of the gate, we see there's a different perspective on value. And the Pharisees and the scribes, or respected religious leaders of that community, they were shocked that Jesus would solely his reputation by extending friendship and spending time in fellowship with tax collectors, those that had been hired by Rome to collect those heavy-handed taxes or even known to use embezzlement to enrich themselves, sinners, those in the community whose immoral activity was public knowledge, they were stunned that Jesus would give these individuals his time and attention. And so Jesus uses this as the opportunity then to move into these familiar parables to unpack for us the breadth and the depth of God's love. Now let's go ahead and read the first parable just to refresh our memories. It says, so he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost, verse 7, just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now let's go ahead and read the next parable because it is a parallel parable, so many similarities, the parable of the lost coin, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost, verse 10, just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, how many of you have ever lost something before? Anybody lose your wallets, your keys? Your kids, your mind, probably if you have kids, you've lost your mind a time or two. This common human experience kind of Jesus taps into. Now, it's fascinating. We don't see anywhere else in the gospel where Jesus does this. At least it's not recorded. He takes time to first share a parable to connect with the men, and then he reframes it to then engage the women. So significant is what he's trying to communicate, this spiritual truth and principle that he takes the extra time 
and attention to engage both the men and women so that everyone fully grasps and understands. It's rather interesting. And then he moves into these parables, so many similarities between the two. An item lost, a sheep, a coin. The response, a shepherd goes out searching, the woman sweeping the house. Both searches are diligent, and you'll notice each one continues until the animal and the item are found. Then the response, the joy, rejoicing of the individual, then the corporate celebration, then the correlation, Jesus connects heaven to earth, saying this is the Father's perspective on each and every one of us. Now, as we have already affirmed, we've all had this experience of losing items. And now many times when we lose something, it's an inconvenience, it's an irritation, but that's about as far as it goes. An umbrella, a pair of gloves. We're not happy about it. As we go about our daily activity, we'll casually look around. If we don't find it, we're going to put it on the shopping list. The next time we're at the store, we're going to replace it. But there are other items, when we lose those, it's a totally different story. You get that hollow feeling in the gut. You break out in that cold sweat. Your mind begins to panic and race. You'll spend hours tearing the house apart, retracing your steps, thinking every conceivable place you might have dropped it where it slipped out of your possession. A wedding ring, a check of sizable amount, an heirloom item passed down from generations that has significant sentimental value. Have you ever lost something like that before? The value of the item drives the diligence and the desperation of the search. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these parables. The audience in that agrarian society knew the value of a sheep. The women knew the value of that coin had tremendous implications for a woman's future security and well-being. And then Jesus uses that as a connection point to communicate that this is the Father's perspective on us. The one that spun the stars into existence that created all that we know and we see, when he looks down upon creation, we are the object of his affection. Is that not stunning? We are what he places the highest price tag upon. Now, sometimes when we contemplate this, we'll have the same reaction that the Pharisees and scribes do, and we just, by default, think about certain individuals because of their actions, even atrocities they may have committed, and we think, surely that doesn't mean them. Or maybe we wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror, we reflect our own missteps in life, and we think, surely that doesn't mean me. And to address this misperception, Jesus then immediately launches into the third parable as he moves from one to another consecutively, the parable of the lost son. Now, you probably know the story well. You've read it, I imagine, one of the most familiar parables in Scripture, how there were two brothers. The younger comes to the father asking for the inheritance. The father graciously gives it, a shocking request, basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. All I care about is your money. He then takes it. As Jesus tells the story, he goes off to a far distant land. And then, depending on your translation, in verse 14, it says, through wild and riotous living. Jesus gives us this picture of this prominent Jewish young boy who throws off all moral restraint. He walks away from his family, from his community, in his pursuits of pleasure and passion. Spends every dollar, every dime. He's now penniless, 
And then as Jesus tells a story, a famine strikes the land. And he's desperate. He's hit rock bottom. He's bankrupt morally, physically, spiritually. And to drive home that point, Jesus takes him to a point where he's so desperate, he hires on as a farmhand tending pigs. Now, I'm sure you probably are aware that in the Jewish community, pigs were the most despised of all the unkosher animals. They were forbidden to eat them. Even rabbinic teaching forbid them to attend them. And so for this young man to be in this condition was shocking. Now, for me personally, thanks to bacon and pork chop, I have no ill feelings for that ugly animal. You know, but for the Jewish community, for his audience, they were stunned at this riches to rag story. From prosperity to poverty, from elect to outcast. In the first two parables, the animal and the item, they were lost unintentionally. But in the third story, this young man's actions were planned and executed. He's not in this desperate, bankrupt condition because of a series of unfortunate events. He's there because of his own poor choices. He's getting what he deserves. And then Jesus turns it into this amazing story of redemption and restoration. You probably remember he comes to his senses thinking maybe I'll go home and Maybe get hired on back as a, as a servant, as a hand. And let's pick up the story in verse 20. It says, And he, the younger son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In this parable, Jesus communicates that even in our wanderings, as misguided as they may be, we can never walk beyond the boundaries of God's love. Can you say amen to that? The Father's waiting with open arms. Through repentance, as we place our faith in God, He wraps those arms around us and reinstates us right back into the family as a child, as an heir. Now, when you look at these parables and you realize that Jesus gives them in one teaching session, you'll notice that he is moving with intent and progression. He starts with one of a hundred sheep, then he moves to one of ten coins, then he concludes with one of two sons. And as the ratio diminishes, the intensity of his message increases, and in each of the parables, the focus is always one. So much concern is given for one. God really drove this home to us back in the mid-1990s when Lisa and I first started serving as missionaries in Thailand. We had uh, just arrived in Bangkok, the capital city, 
and was there just a few days. Uh, some missionary friends of ours had a, a bedroom in their apartment. They were allowing us to stay in as we were getting settled into the city, and we'd just been on the ground just a couple of days, and I was traveling down into the heart of the city, large metropolis, 15 million people at the time, where I was going to register us for language school. Didn't have a vehicle, so I was using the uh, collection of public transportation options that were there. They've got buses and taxis and motorcycles and boats, a whole gamut. And, and I'd made it down, had registered us for language school, and I was on my way back, and I was sitting on this public bus, and I had this big paper map out in front of me. I remember those paper map days. For the younger generation, you got to go to a museum to see when it's this big sheet of paper. It's got streets on it. Find where you are. When you go, you navigate your own route. Got this big map, big city, counting streets. I wanted to make sure I got off of the right spot because I had another bus to catch. And I felt somebody slip up next to me on the seat and asked me in excellent English, are you lost? I looked over, and it was this Thai gentleman in his early, mid-30s. He introduced himself as City Pong. We talked for a little bit, and I could see that my stop was coming up where I had to get off to get on another bus. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get off in just a minute. He goes, well, can I have your phone number? I said, sure. So I jotted down. I gave him the phone number of the missionary friends that we were staying with, you know, back in the day when telephones were attached to the wall with the paper maps back in the wagon train days. Gave him that number, got off the bus, went on my way. Really didn't think much about the meeting. A couple weeks went by, and we got settled into the city, found our own apartment, had started language school, and and uh, our missionary friends that we'd stayed with those first few days when we were fresh on the ground invited us back over to their house for dinner. And we're sitting around their living room after, after dinner just laughing, talking, having a great time of fellowship when the telephone rang. And to my surprise, my missionary colleague said, hey, Nate, it's for you. I remember very clearly picking up the receiver thinking, I don't know anybody in this city. And as you guessed, it was City Pong. We talked a bit and he asked if we could meet. So a couple days later, I found myself back down in the heart of Bangkok, sitting across from City Pong, this little roadside Thai cafe, eating this hot, spicy Thai soup. Anybody like Thai food here? Friends, I don't know what all is going to be on the menu at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some Thai food there because it is superb cuisine. I will warn you, though, they do like peppers. So sometimes some of the dishes that you're eating, it's like a brush fire goes through the taste buds. But after they grow back a couple weeks later, it starts to taste pretty good. And so I'm sitting across from City Pong, and we're eating this spicy Thai soup. And my curiosity got the better be, and I asked him, I said, City Pong, why did you call? He said, a couple of nights before I telephoned you, I had a very disturbing dream. I was out on the Gulf of Thailand on this little bitty boat. And a violent storm was brewing. The wind was blowing so strong. The waves were crashing. I felt at any moment the little boat I was in was going to capsize and that my life would be lost, and I was gripped with such fear. He said, I don't know why, but in my dream, your name kept back, came back to me, and I was calling out your name. And when I woke up, I knew I had to give you a call. And when he recounted his dream to me, friends, boy, the Holy Spirit just stirred in my heart. I said, you know, City Pong, when we met on that bus a few weeks back, it was not by chance, but rather God in heaven, our creator, set up a divine appointment that we might meet so that I could share one very important thing with you. He loves 
you. And he sent his son to die for you. That you could be restored to him. In a city of 15 million people, using somebody who at the time could only speak but just a few words of Thai, God set up a divine appointment for one. For one. And somehow God is able to look at the mass of humanity around our globe, whether it be Bangkok, Thailand, whether it be Auckland, New Zealand, whether it be Sedalia, Missouri. And God sees one. Nowhere else in the gospel will we find these parables recorded except in Matthew 18. You'll find the parable of the lost sheep. And Matthew concludes the parable in verse number 14 in chapter 18 where Jesus says these words, My Father in heaven is not willing that one should be lost. Not one. The depth and the breadth of God's love. Really beyond our comprehension. We can't wrap our heads around it. Friends, even though we may not be able to understand it, can I tell you this morning, we can embrace it. We can embrace it. Like that younger son, we can walk into the arms of the Father and allow him to wrap those loving arms around us. Surprisingly, Jesus does not end the parable of the lost son with that beautiful reunion. That would have been a great place, wouldn't it? Just finish it off, capsule, move on. But you might remember that there's a little more to the story. Rather surprisingly, Jesus brings the older brother onto the scene, and when he steps on the stage, he's not too happy about the development. He's shocked and stunned. This younger brother of his who's gone off and squandered the family resources, who's brought shame to the family name, has now been reinstated, restored without any punishment or consequence or penalty. This doesn't seem right to him. And Jesus concludes the parable in verse 32 with the father compelling the older brother, embrace the son. He's been restored to us. You see, friends, Jesus shares these powerful parables not only to help us understand God's love, to embrace it, but he shares them so that we might also echo the father's love. The older brother was a part of the family but he didn't have the heart of the Father. And before I'm too judgmental, I see how easy it is for me to fall into that same trap with the distractions of life and the pressures around me. How easy it is for me to be a part of the family but not have the heart of the Father so that I might not only embrace the love of God and be restored back into the family, but then what is priceless to heaven may open my heart so it echoes the Father that it becomes precious to me. Because the reality is, friends, once we have been rescued out of our lost, broken condition and we've been restored into the family, God now gives us the wonderful privilege and opportunity to be a part of the rescue mission. Can you say amen to that? Not out of obligation, but through invitation, God allows us to be a part of changing the eternal trajectory 
of those around us. Friends, can I tell you one of the greatest mistakes we as believers make is underestimating how greatly God can use us for the kingdom. One of the greatest tools of transformation in this community is your testimony, my testimony. What God has done in my life and God has done in your life. And as we interact with people, we are simply walking representations of God's transformational power. And as we become aware of the problems that people are facing, we can speak into that as we hear about their financial needs. All we have to do is say, let me share how God provided for me. Let me pray for you that God would do the same for you. For healing needs, we can share, God has brought healing in my body in this situation. Let me pray that God will bring healing for you. But the amazing thing is, we are not prisoners of our proximity. But through our prayers and our giving, we can even travel to lands that our feet will never touch. Is that not remarkable? That God allows us to have a global reach and a global impact. Jerry is a young man that we had the joy of being part of his journey of faith. We were working in the central areas of the Philippines, the islands called the Visayas, in a slum community with some youth outreach and another nutrition project. And Jerry was a part of this slum community, and he was on the same destructive path of, as many of his team peers. To deal with the hopelessness and despondency of his situation, he began to experiment with drugs and alcohol to numb the ache and the pain of his heart. And he heard about the weekend youth activities, and he began to attend. And while he was there and he heard about God's love, his heart was captivated. He surrendered his life to Christ, and God began to change his trajectory. He grew and got discipled, became a part of his local church, graduated high school. He felt God call him to vocational ministry. It was beyond his financial ability to attend. We were able to find a scholarship so he could attend the local Bible school, which he did for four years. He excelled. He graduated with honors. Today, Jerry leads the very ministry that led him to Christ in the community that knows his story before and after. Powerful testimony, a trophy of God's grace. But if you ask Jerry why he attended those youth activities and outreach back in his teen years, you know what he would tell you? He went for the free snacks. How many know the teenage young boy? It's like a irresistible magnetic draw. If you have a teenager in your home, you know they just hover around the refrigerator all the time. They can't help it. Some physical force. Friends, can I tell you, if God can use chips, cookies, and crackers to point somebody to the cross, how many know God can use us? God can use our testimony. God can use our prayers to blaze new trails, to open doors, to tear down strongholds. God can use our generous giving as a representation for areas that we ourselves cannot travel to to impact eternity. Because the reality is, while there is one, the work is not done. Amen. And as we look across the globe and we see the chaos and the dysfunction and rebrokenness, we know there is a multitude 
lost and separated from the Father. And we have the joy and the opportunity of being a part of seeing people restored back to the family. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful for your love. We can't understand it beyond our comprehension. But we can embrace it. And Father, I pray this morning for all those that are here in person or those watching online, if there's anyone that is like that younger son, lost and separated even at the end of the rope, has hit rock bottom, I pray today they would place their faith and trust in you, that you would wrap your arms around them. And God, help us to open our hearts to allow you to realign our priorities, our perspective, that it would harmonize with you and what is priceless to heaven. again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.